Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. I saw a lava lamp. I haven't seen a lava lamp since, like, I was in high school or something, which is probably, probably dating me. So we're, um, we're kicking off a uh, new series. We're talking about four questions over the next four weeks, uh, four questions for a better you. And here's why. Because questions are better than lessons. Um, I heard somebody say once, one of my mentors said to me, he says, never tell someone something they could learn if you ask them a good question. Took me a while to catch on to that, but I realized that's pretty true. Questions are better than lessons. And here's why. Because questions let us in on the process of discovery. It lets us not just figure out what, but a little bit of why on the journey to what? Questions are better than lessons. And this may be why Jesus asked so many of them. I mean, in fact, some of Jesus' most famous, notable statements are questions. Who do people say that I am? Or how about this one? Do you love me? Or my favorite? Where are your accusers? <laughs> it instantly takes you back, if you're familiar with the stories of the Bible, to those precise moments. In fact, Jesus asked 307 recorded questions in the New Testament. There must be something there. So we want to talk about these questions that help us to learn lessons. But before I get to the question, I got a pre-question I want to ask you. It's sort of a, a question that gets to the question. So this isn't the question, but it's a question. Why aren't you happy? I mean, really, why, why aren't we happier? I mean, modern technology? I read an article the other day that talked about all of the advances of psychology and how we have an epidemic of young people who are struggling more than ever with anxiety. Why aren't we happier? I mean, we have watches that have email on them now, folks. You would think that would make us happy. Why aren't, why aren't we happier? That's a good question, and I think it's, it's sort of a good way to introduce this story where Jesus is going to ask a question. It's an enormously helpful question for wrestling down unhappiness and anxiety. 
It's found in a number of places, but we're picking it up in the Gospel of Mark. It is a much-loved story. Let me read you a portion of it. It starts in verse 35. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat. And so you get the context. They're out in the middle of the sea, and Jesus is in the boat with them. And he started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed them. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Not good. Not good by anybody's estimation of good. And then it says in verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. And it adds this detail with his head on a cushion. You know that was written by a critic right there. <laughs> head on a cushion is the modern equivalent. Oh, he's just sitting there with his feet up on the couch. That's what it means. It's, it's, it's acting like there's not a care in the world. Head on a cushion, feet on the couch. And the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? We're going down. These guys are not happy. Unhappiness, it turns out, is a sign that something's wrong. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, it's a sign that something's wrong. The water's in the boat, there's a storm. Unhappiness is a sign that something wrong, but it might not be the something you're thinking of. See, we think that, that the unhappiness in our life is because of the water in the boat or the storm that we're going through. And I just want to begin by saying this. The storm you're going through is a problem, but it's not the problem. Okay, there's a difference there. It's a problem. It might even be a big problem. But it's not the problem. You see, if storms are the key, storms and calm seas are the key to your happiness, you're never going to be happy. Or at the very least, your happiness is going to be measured in minutes. Those are the minutes between storms. Because storms are inevitable. They're a part of life. Some are big, some are small, but they are continuous. And when our happiness is circumstantial, when it's a happiness built in the absence of storms, we live our lives in a perpetual cycle of anxiousness and unhappiness. The storm is a problem, but it's not the problem. The problem, it turns out, can be found somewhere in there. It turns out the problem is we're counting on something that couldn't be counted on. We were counting on calm seas. But who can count on calm seas all the time? We were counting on something that couldn't be counted on. Earlier this year, I went on a missions trip with my son, and we were, uh, we were traveling with a bunch of our partners. We were gone for almost two weeks, and uh, we were in Thailand and the Philippines. And Thailand is an island of, 
uh, a country of islands. I mean, there's, there's just, there's a lot. They're surrounded by water, and there's just thousands of islands. And one day, we were actually, we were taking a trip to one of these islands. And I, had, I was setting up the itinerary, and I'm looking at it, and the island's about, it's about as far away as Nantucket is, re- relatively speaking. So not as close as Martha's Vineyard, about as far as Nantucket, without the billionaires. So you kind of got, that's... <laughs> Right, that's the <laughs> and uh, you go you go there by boat. There's no there's no planes because there's no billionaires. Um, and I noted that there was a ferry, and the ferry cost I don't know it was like ten dollars, and it took two hours. And then I saw there were speedboats that cost about ten dollars. It took an hour. Didn't take me long to do the math, people. I'm like, speedboat it is. And we loaded up the first day. In fact, I remember because it was, uh, the Celtics were playing in the, uh, in the playoffs and championship, and we were literally watching the game on a phone on the other side of the world while we're on this speedboat. And man, this thing's got four big engines off this, seated about 15 people. Boom, it's just zooming, just skimming across the water. We got there, it was a great experience, and we were there for about a day, and then we, and then we headed back. And when we came back, we, were on, uh, we did the same thing. We took a, we took a speedboat coming, coming back, and we get in, and you're, you're sitting there, and there's about 12 or 15. This time we were all seated around the outside, so you're looking at one another. And it was just a relatively, you know, nice enough day, until we got out of the harbor and it felt like there was a tsunami I mean there were I mean I'm not a boater and I know it wasn't a tsunami but there were like legit waves that apparently the guy driving the boat was oblivious to because he just he just he just gunned it I mean and we're just I mean we're flying you got an hour and we're just we're just Boom, boom. And we're, I mean, we're, we're hammering down and my back is like breaking. And, and with like, like literally within five minutes, everybody on this boat, like, listen, this is not America where there's a Coast Guard and there's rules. Nobody gets on the boat and says, folks, let me tell you where your life preserver is. And if something happens and here's the exit, nobody does that. In fact, you got on and nobody talked to you. You just sat there and we started going and we're just, it's just hammering away. And with literally, I'm not making this, within five minutes, everybody on the boat is staring at each other, terrified, and we're searching for life preservers. I'm not, a grown adult, every one of us, unashamed, putting on a life preserver, tying it up. I mean, we're scared. The, the boat driver eyes forward, gunning it, holding on for dear life, takes one hand off for a moment. This is, I'm not exaggerating. For a moment, and he picks up a bag, and he flings it over his shoulder, and somebody catches it and opens up. It's barf bags. And everybody took one. Honestly, I, I have never been so scared in all my life. I mean, it was, it was supposed to be an hour because it took an hour and 15 minutes. And I'm not ashamed to say my son and I held hands the entire time. <laughs> like, dear God, help us. I mean, it was... You say, why? I mean, because at least the guys in the Bible had Jesus in their boat. <laughs> Jesus was not in our boat.
We got, we got done and we got on the shore and I'm just like, I prayed and thanked the Lord. And I, once I was relieved, I said to, the, to the, the, the boat captain or driver or whatever, I said, have you ever had it that rough before? And he looked at me and he's like, didn't speak a word of English. Nobody. Didn't make me feel any better. I was counting on something I probably shouldn't have been counting on. And that's what happens. We are counting on calm seas, smooth sailing, a better day around the corner. And it doesn't always come. And so we live our lives in a perpetual cycle of up and down, happy, unhappy, happy, unhappy, 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 happy, for a moment, unhappy. And Jesus has a lesson for his disciples. And because he has a lesson, he wants to ask him a question. But let me set it up with this. I, back in verse 38... Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus woke up, and he does about what you are hoping and expect he would do. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. By the way, just a, just a pause here. The, the disciples are, are, are angry, and, and I, this, is, this is not the, the heart of the message, but it might be helpful. The disciples are angry, and almost always, anger is a cover emotion, and it's almost always a cover emotion for something you're afraid of. That was a bonus material. I'm going to move on right now. <laughs> Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Now, Jesus has a lesson, and here's his question. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I just want to camp out on, why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? It turns out this is like a, this is a really, really powerful question if you ask it closely enough. And you'll have to ask it a couple of times. Like, it's, it's not rhetorical. It's not, it's like some people ask this and it's a rhetorical question. Like, what are you afraid of? You've got nothing to be afraid of. That's not what it's meant to be. Like, why are you afraid is an actual, real, legitimate, probing question that you and I should ask ourselves. What? are you afraid of? No, really. I know you're angry, but under that, what are you, what are you afraid of? I don't think Jesus was asking it in a passing way, recorded for all of the ages. It's helpful. What are you afraid of? You see, usually when we ask this question in a, in a deep and thoughtful way, we're going to discover at the, at, the, at the root of what we're afraid of, 
we're going to discover often two different kinds of things. Things we can't control and things we catastrophize. Things we can't control. Things I don't have authority over. I'm not responsible or able to do anything about this. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, does an interesting job of grouping things together in two categories. Things of concern and things I have influence over. Some things just concern me. I'm not going to lie. They concern me. I'm bothered by them. But I don't have authority over them. I don't have responsibility for them. I don't have any real influence in them. Things I can't control. And then there's the things I catastrophize. I confess, this is my favorite word of all time. Catastrophize. At first, I didn't even think that was a real word, but somebody made it a real word, and it's true. We take things, big things, little things, we catastrophize them. We turn them into things that are inevitable and impossible. We take the thing that could happen, might happen, maybe even should happen or would happen, and we turn it into inevitable. And we make it seem like it's impossible. In other words, we take our problems and we add to our problems divine dimensions. We make the problem bigger than anything God could do. No wonder we're afraid. Isn't this where fear is manufactured? Think about a roller coaster. Like, roller coasters are created to terrify you. And you pay for it. (laughs) Because we have a sense of adventure, right? Uh, How do they do it? Well, first, they remove control. They sit you in a seat, they strap you in, they lower the bar, they put you on tracks, and you can't move. And then they add catastrophe. For me, at least, the most terrifying part is not... You know, the sound effects that go with it. They do that on purpose, because that terrifies you. And then you come down the other side, but as you come down, it like winds you around a corner and it looks for a moment like you're going to go headlong into a a forest of beams and your life is going to end. It's awesome. (laughs) Why do we do it? Well, we do it because a little taste of adventure and and we do it because we, we trust a little bit, the person who made this thing. Like, we trust that Disney doesn't want to get sued. We trust that they train these people. 
right? We trust that they built this thing and they tested this thing. We, we trust that we've seen people screaming on it all day, so it must be okay. There's a little bit of, we, we, there's a little bit of trust in it. And this is, by the way, this is why when I drive by a mall parking lot and they've set up a roller coaster, not on your life. Like, I, do, I never look at that and think, oh, that looks safe. And I love the people at the fairground, so no comment about that. I'm just going to leave that one alone. You see, we, we've counted on something we couldn't count on. We... We've taken our problems and we've, we've magnified them. And we've missed, we've missed something that's really important. Now, here's something that's, that's helpful for the whole series. The question doesn't fix the problem. It just helps you find it. Right? It doesn't fix it. It helps you find it. And that's what Jesus is about to do, right? He asked them. What are you afraid of? Why don't you have faith? And then their response in verse 41. And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Ah, it turned out this is this is this is the, the, the answer. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So it turns out that the the key to a non-anxious life, and the reason we ask the question is it brings us back to this. The key to a non-anxious life is this man, Jesus. It's the power of God at work in our lives. And it's the presence of his spirit with us. It's the person of Jesus, the power of God and the presence of his spirit in our, in our lives. This is, this is what changes us. You see, at the root of that question, what am I afraid of? We, we're forced to take that thing and to set it right beside the, the person of Jesus and the power of God and the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And the fear doesn't stand a chance. I, I, I would say through, through the journey of my adult Christian life, which has almost entirely been made up here at Cape Cod Church, uh, that over and over and over again, the, the presence of God in my life has been the thing that carried me through. Maybe the most recent example of that that I could share is one you're familiar with. A year ago, my wife... And I found out just out of the blue that she had a, a large brain tumor. And it was one of those things, you go into the hospital thinking this will be quick, and next thing you know, you're in an ambulance, and you're headed to Boston, and life is turning upside down. And 
There, was, there, there were these moments where we were in the hospital and we're having to tell people we're not going to be here for this and here for that. And, um, and, and you're grappling with the news and you're grappling, frankly, with uncertainty. Like, what, what is this? And what's the prognosis? And what's going to happen? And you know, by God's grace, here we are a year later and, 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 and God has just miraculously been gracious in healing her. But, but th- there were those initial moments and, and I've been talking for 30 years to people about those initial moments of uncertainty. And I can only explain it that in those moments together in the hospital, there was just a, there was a, there was a piece that we can only attribute to the fact that we both were experiencing the presence of God in our life. Now, here's something interesting that happened. I, they didn't let me stay over at the hospital, and so I, was, uh, I decided to stay in Boston. And I, So many people, and we know a lot of people, many from the church who have homes in the Boston area, and so many people were gracious to us and said, hey, come stay with us. We've got a house, just, you can, and I had pastor friends and everybody, but honestly, in the moment, and I wasn't trying to be sort of isolated, I just had a sense, and I, I, got, I got a little hotel, it turns out it was the worst hotel I've ever stayed in, but it's another, there's, listen, there's a, there's like a quality in or something that is not quality in Wellesley, and I don't know, but anyway, we, I just knew in the moment that what I really needed was not the comfort of other people. And I've talked a lot about the importance of the comfort of other people, but I knew what I needed was the comfort that only God gave me. I needed to be in a place where I could experience and know his promises and his presence. I needed to, I, I needed to look at scripture and be reminded of what he had said and who he was. And honestly, it was enough. It was enough. It turns out this, is, this has always been how God has comforted his people through his presence. He just wants to say, I'm with you. I'm with you. What are you going to do? You may not know that, but I'm with you. I thought I'd leave you with one last passage. It's from the book of Exodus, and I came across it the other day, and it just, it it just seems so personal and powerful. One more reminder of God saying, I'm with you. So I just want to leave this verse with you as a promise from Scripture, if you find yourself in the middle of that storm, wondering, wondering, wondering. It's a moment with God speaking to Moses. Moses is not, he is not, he is not good. Chapter 33 and verse 14, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you. I will personally go with you, Moses. Hmm. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. I love that. 
I also like how Moses replied in the next verse. He said, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. (laughs) Okay, God. But if you're not traveling, we're not leaving. If we can't have you with us on the road, we want to stay here. Nothing matters more than knowing he's with us. The person of Jesus, the power of God, and the presence of his spirit. So church, what are you afraid of? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, for every person who finds themselves a cauldron of emotions, because the waves are coming over the edge of the boat and the storms never seem to stop, you do not promise calm seas. No fake promises. No, you've given us something else. And I pray that for everyone who is there, that at the end of the question, what am I afraid of? That they would find you. The person of Jesus Christ the power of God the Father, the presence of the Spirit, Father, with us. If you'll not go with us, Father, we don't want to leave this place. But we know, Father, you go with us. Your word, your promises are sure. And you allow us in the midst of storms to find a peace, a happiness that has nothing to do with the storm. and has everything to do with you. We pray this together. In Jesus' name, amen.